0: Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in, and whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is the director of FSU Coach, an interdisciplinary center for athletic coaching at Florida State University. He has earned his doctorate in kinesiology from the University of Arkansas and has three additional graduate degrees achieved in three different countries. His research has focused on coaching education and development with specific interests in coaching ethics and coach health and well-being. He has had more than 100 peer-reviewed articles published in addition to many chapters in several books. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Tim Baghurst. Dr. Tim, how are you doing today?
1: I'm very well. We were just talking about the fact it's first day of classes here at FSU. So it's a little bit manic, uh, but but doing re- really well. Glad to be into 2023.
0: Yeah, I, guess, I guess that's what a large part of coaching is about, is managing some chaos, right?
1: Yeah, it and it never ends. Right, you have yeah. to recognize it, you know When you solve one problem, there's probably two or three coming right behind it, if not already there. And uh, yeah, sometimes you just muddle through no
0: doubt. Well, to get us started, I'd love to hear kind of what first got you really fascinated and into
1: coaching and what led you into kind of your role uh, now at Florida State. Yeah. Most most people I speak to, if you ask how did they get into coaching, they they typically had a some kind of heroic coach, some kind of mentor, some kind of great coach growing up who inspired them and you know wanted they wanted to follow in those footsteps. I was kind of the opposite. I I had a lot of not a lot. That's not fair. I had some bad coaches in, growing up who didn't know what they were doing, why they were doing it, how to do it, uh, in in many ways, uh, pressured me into making mistakes, uh, didn't instill confidence, y- you fear failure culture, that kind of thing. And um, I I knew there was a better way. I didn't know what it was. I hadn't experienced it as as an athlete, but I knew that I could I could do better than they were doing and i love sports i, I really wanted to stay in, in, involved in sports in some way so a, a lot of my education was in the, the sports science disciplines uh, sports psych administration physical education etc but there was never a, a degree in coaching mm-hmm. and and i that's what i wanted to do and so a roundabout way, I was learning about all these areas that coaches need to be familiar with, but I never actually was able to take a degree in coaching. And and uh, several years ago at Oklahoma State, I got the opportunity to, to propose a degree to our dean who um, said, okay, how do we know it's going to be successful? You're right, right? We don't build things if we don't have the data. So I actually went and surveyed athletic directors in the state to find out what they thought about hmm. this and they were overwhelmingly supportive so we built this 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 undergrad minor then a major and then an option in the master's program for coaching and it, it kind of took off i mean yeah. people people are interested in coaching it's it's a big part of american society sports uh, the the dean here at Florida State, um, I'd met him a couple times. He learned about what I'd built there and he's he's I, I want to build something too. Um, I think we need that here at Florida State. We've he his background is sport management, so he, he knew sports and and so he encouraged me to to apply to to this program and 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 start it. And so yeah. three and a half years later, we now have a, a center for coaching education. We have a an online graduate certificate in coaching and an online master's in coaching that I was just looking at the numbers this morning. We've got 66 students in that program and we've already started seeing graduates coming through. So it's exciting. It's it's exciting that it's been so popular and is is growing yeah. quickly because people recognize what we're trying to do.
0: Very, It's very cool, I think, getting that created. And as you kind of take a step back and look at... Uh, coaching as a whole, youth, high school, all the, you know, groups out there, where do you kind of see if you had to give where coaching education is at, at a scale of one to 10, where it's at in America and where it'll be, you know, in a couple of years as the programs like this become more prevalent
1: and hopefully impactful. Yeah. The good news is the programs are growing. We're seeing universities picking up these. Uh, I don't know if you saw recently that, that, um, the the ncaa in in relation to basketball actually said that they want to make sure that coaches are more certified that's yeah. that's going to be so, a goal there so it's encouraging to see sports organizations are starting to recognize hey coaches need help it's yeah. it's not just a warm body situation it's not just a you're you are a great athlete you'll be a great coach or your kids are playing why don't you coach and we have way too much of that way too much and uh I interviewed the director of the national council for youth sport last year. And he told me about 90% of coaches have no formal training Yeah, and about of the 10% that do the majority of them are the training is in CPR, first aid and care and prevention, because those are the things that, that insurance companies are concerned about. Most definitely. We are way behind on a scale of one to 10. It's not good. It's not good. It's down there in the twos and threes. Where will it be in a couple years' time? Not much better. In 10 years' time, maybe. Uh, In 20 years' time, I hope significantly better because we need legislation, really, to to make a a key change in this. So, Tyler, look at at strength and conditioning. If I I find this just crazy to, to contemplate, strength and conditioning coaches have to be certified. Right. Whether whether well I'll rephrase. In in most organizations they have to be. Sure, sure. Some who are not. But if I if I coached at FSU, I have to be certified, whether it be NSCA or some other organization. I have to go every year and get professional development. I have to be retrained. Why? Because I can literally do permanent damage to it to a kid, to an athlete. Yep. But their coach, their boss doesn't have to have any certification or formal training right it, so it's, it's crazy and i don't know if you saw this i posted this on on twitter just the other day a division three basketball coach has been suspended because they this person's players were given a quote-unquote rigorous training session after a couple of losses
0: yeah i did see that
1: well That wasn't the strength and conditioning coach. No, that was the head coach. And so we see, unfortunately, we see these things happen. And I think until coaches are trained on best practices, taking care of athletes physically, mentally, um, et cetera, we're we're going to keep seeing these stories until legislation comes in and says, you know what, enough of this. We need to make sure coaches have fundamental training before they go out and work with with kids because they can do just as much damage as a strength and conditioning coach. It's really a safety and care issue for me. No
0: when you look at other, other countries and other models um, around youth sports, what are some other areas that would be kind of maybe low-hanging fruit for us to adopt um, that we see in, in maybe some European models that would help build coaching education at a higher level?
1: It's it's a really good question, and I don't know all the models. Uh, I'll, Me I'll neither. Um, <laughs> I'm originally from England, which you, you probably don't know from my accent, but I came over here in 2004, so I came through a British sports system. Uh, we, in England, school sports are not as significant as club sports. Right. If you're good, you do not typically play for your school. You play for your club your PE is typically your coach in school. And it is more of a, um, I wouldn't say rec program. That's not fair, but, but more intramural, so to speak. Sure. Just, uh, we do this for, for, for fun, for physical activity. If we win, great. If we lose, that's okay. There's not the end of the world versus the club system, which is more, we think you're, we want to go pro. We want that scholarship. We're, we're more in, intentional about this. Um, uh, So that is a a very different setup to what we see in the U.S. I will say having I made four trips all around Florida last fall, meeting with coaches, athletic directors, et cetera. And and what I will say is that that is starting to trend towards the, the British model, whereby less and less high quality players are playing for their high school. Sure. they're playing for a club an AAU team a, a soccer club etc in the community a travel team as you will the only the only caveat to that is football we haven't yet seen somebody come in and say I'm starting club football and outside of the you know the peewees and so on if somebody comes in and says I'm starting club football and we're going to do you know 15 to 18 year olds I think that would really devastate the the high school scene for football. Uh, sure. Sure, we, sure. The other thing that you'll see within the club structure is the the coaches within that club structure are required to be certified. You cannot just simply create a club team and draw people to you and charge them a, a small fortune and, and make your living from that. There is an expectation and standards are, are much more expected for every sport, every Every sport in England will have a national organization with expectations that you are a member, that you're trained, and and so on. So it is much more rigorous in the upfront training than it is in the U.S., where, as I said, everybody's kind of doing their own thing, for, for want of a better word. Sure.
0: Yeah. It seems like sometimes if you have access to a field and the an email list, you can start a league. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, which is a low bar. Uh, when you look at kind of the coaching education space and uh, you know, you kind of touched on using strength and conditioning as an example, these, these areas that have to do with physicality and tactical, we have so much training, but when you look at coaching education, where do you see kind of some of the key interpersonal skills that really can help a coach get the most out of when it comes to, to
1: relationships
0: and the things that aren't happening on the floor of the field.
1: Yeah, this is, this is, I think the biggest area of need in coaching. We have a lot of great national governing bodies and organizations that do provide training. Most of that training though, tends to be the X's and O's, the strategy, the techniques and, and so on. We don't see so much of how to care for the athlete, how to develop them as a person, how to motivate them, how to build a team culture, et cetera. That is something I think is changing. Uh, I'm really excited. For example, I'm going to a conference on Wednesday to speak, and this is a, a national sports organization. And I'm talking, I've got a talk on burnout, stress and burnout in coaching. And the other talk I'm I'm doing is building a culture. That's very atypical to 10 years ago, where it's how to make your athletes run faster or why we should play with this formation instead of this formation. We are changing. We are seeing that change. But for, for the most part, those national governing bodies, their job is to, to teach the skills. We're slowly starting to see those soft skills, not the hard skills of, x's and o's and so on those soft skills coming into programs and in part that's why we built our masters because look i've got <clears throat> i've got an ice skating coach in my class this semester i i've watched the olympics but that's as far as i've gotten yeah. right i can stumble my way around an ice rink so how do i teach that coach how to be a better coach in ice skating i'm not going to teach them how to do anything on the ice. So our focus in our master's is how do we teach them about sociology and the background of their athletes? How do we teach them about the sport psychology, the nutrition, the strength training, the, uh, the counseling skills that they're going to need to build that athlete into what that athlete can become? And so really, I would say we have 10 classes, seven of them really focus on the the person rather than the actual ins and outs of a sport. I mean, we've got to talk about sport management. We've got to talk about some of these things, which are generic, but really it's about supporting that person to be better as a person. And if they are as a person, then they're also better as an athlete too. Yeah. Um, So it's changing. The landscape is changing on that front. That's been good to see. We've still got a long way to go there.
0: I'm glad you brought out the burnout. Cause that was one of my questions I had jotted down. I know you've, you've done some, some research and things around that. I feel like years ago we heard about athlete burnout, but like you mentioned, this coach burnout is becoming <laughs> fast and furious. It feels like over the last few years. Um, can you talk just about maybe some, some key factors that get us into that burnout zone? And then a couple, you know, one or two things that we can do to preserves our, ourselves into the, the sports and the communities that we love.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say, regardless of the field, burnout is an issue for everybody at the moment. Sure. I I was at a conference this past week, and my talk was to academics, professors in in sports science. My topic was stress and burnout, and they were standing room only. It, it is a very relevant problem for, for, for a lot of us burnout is a, is a culmination of stressors that we are unable to resolve. And we all experience stressors, right? I talked about today being the first day of classes. Yeah. That's a stressor for me. If I don't have the tools to handle the stressors that I face, my stress levels increase. And if I continue to face either that same stressor or maybe other stressors that occur, maybe my car breaks down on the way home. That's another stressor that I have to deal with. And if these stressors continue to build on each other and I don't have the ability to resolve those stressors or reduce them, moderate them, control them, my stressors reach a point where I can't, I can't take it anymore. And then I experience burnout and burnout is a, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. And in coaching, it's a huge problem. And we see, I'm going to say, don't quote me on this because I don't have the source but the average turnover for a coach is about three years yep. and in outside of college and pro, of course, which is a different world with contracts and incentives and, incentives <laughs> and uh, yes, but, but you're looking at kind of high school club. You're, you're looking at three years. Well, why? Well, because typically there is a, a number of stressors that occur, parents, boosters, win loss, time management, multiple jobs. I mean I I met an athletic director in a school who's also coaching and also is teaching in the school and also yeah. has a family that they rarely see as they they alluded to. Well, we have all these stressors build up and eventually they go, you know, what? why am I doing this? I don't have to. And boom, you're done. Yeah. So, those are typical ways that that lead to burnout. But I also want to mention something that has become Uh more it's it's been on my radar recently. And there's two terms for it. Uh the first term that came out, I first read about it in 2016, it was called brownout. Hmm. And the term that is kind of more more recognized now is called quiet quitting.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: And this is this idea that the people who are superstars in your organization, the the coaches who are superstars at some point reach a point where they say, I'm not, I'm not done, I'm not quitting. I'm just not doing everything that I used to do. Yeah. And I'm just going to back away because you've been asking me to do this and this and this and this, and I don't have to. It's not in my contract. It's not required of me. It's not going to make that much of a difference in whether I win or lose. So I'm just not going to do it. Someone else can do it. We've seen a lot of that during and since COVID. Yeah. Where those who are out there just crushing it are backing off saying, I don't know that it's worth it. I think I'm just going to say no to some stuff. And then as a consequence, um, they're doing their job, but they're not doing it at the same level that they once were. So we're seeing that a lot too. Um, How do we, how do we handle this? Well, there's a variety of ways. Um, I'm not going to go into all of them because that's a lecture. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) But one of the key things that I do want to mention, I I literally have a lecture of 10 ways to, to help moderate stress. But one of the ones I want to focus on, I wish I had a book here. I've been reading a book about Winston Churchill, the Mm. the famous British prime minister. And he mentioned this in the book. So I couldn't believe it. Like, here's somebody in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, writing about stress and burnout like it's today. And he said, one of the things that we do, and this has been told to me by a coach, well, not by just one coach, but by coaches, And it's affirmed by Churchill when when great people who are the the ones trying to crush it reach a situation where it gets really, really hard. Instead of backing off, we double down. And when we double down, we make it even worse for ourselves. Mm. So if, for example, in my job, um, I've got a lot going on. I'm trying to resolve all these issues. And then some other big project comes up with a due deadline where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I skip my workout. I skip time with my family. I go down to my office. I work late into the night. I don't get enough sleep. Then I start eating junk because I'm just trying to get through, maybe drink too much coffee, et cetera. And I make my situation even worse. Yeah rather than saying okay i need to maybe prioritize some things here maybe i need to go tell somebody at this this deadline i can't make can we rene- renegotiate i double down and i i can back this up with a little research that i read last year on soccer coaches there was a there was a study done on professional soccer coaches and and by the way this gives me a little plug if i may we have a newsletter we send out every month yeah and in that newsletter we include research studies that we put into infographics for for coaches and and sports administrators that allow people to to just kind of find out what's going on in research in sports and then Mm -hmm. how does it apply to me. So this is one of those studies. That's how I know about this study. They researched coaches in professional soccer who were were getting fired, Mm -hmm. essentially. They kind of figured out which ones were kind of on the hot seat. And what they actually looked at was – the amount of physical activity those players did in the weeks leading up to their, their firing. And then they looked at what happened after a new coach came in and what they found is really interesting. The, the closer that coach got to being fired or resigning or whatever, the more, the, the more physical, the training was in practice,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, I've seen this on the football field with football okay. coaches. I mean, so yeah. the
1: coach doubled down, the coach doubled down and made the players double down instead of looking and saying, you know what, which is what the new coach did. The new coach came in, found out what was going on and said, wow, I'm paraphrasing here from a coach I don't even know, but we need to back off. We're killing our athletes. They're exhausted. Yeah. Well, the coach doubled down. We got to work harder, right? We've got to just try harder. And it actually had the opposite effect because it wore out the players and then they're less successful. Sure, no doubt. And then the coach is done. So that was a great example of how I, you know, that that plays out in practice. Yeah, I think um, it's- So a... that, that's one of the things coaches have to realize is when it, it gets really stressful, it gets too much. You know what? I need to go do something different right now for an hour.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I need to go take a nap. I need to uh, go eat something healthy. Uh, I need to- Maybe, maybe go chat with a friend, go get a coffee with somebody just to take a break. Otherwise yeah. it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And, and we just, I can't do this anymore. It's too much.
0: So always that, uh, we fall into that adage of, of more is better when really better is better. <laughs> you know, what's the little yeah. better thing we can do. Um, love that research. If you've got that link to that newsletter, we'll get that linked up here so people can find Absolutely. it as well. Um, one other thing in your background, I know you you've dealt, you studied nutrition, and I could have a whole podcast on that topic, but wanted to just bring it up as you know, athletes we figure it out eventually. I think when you become a collegiate athlete, I wasn't great in high school. Most high school athletes aren't as good with their their nutrition. But why is nutrition not only important for our physical performance, but for this day and age, our mental wellness? Is it important to, to have a, a gauge on how we're fueling ourselves, not just for performance, but but for our mind?
1: Mm. Yeah. And I'm gonna clarify this and say I'm I'm not a registered dietitian. I <laughs> do not consider myself a nutritional expert. Um I several years ago did work with a, a D1 program as a nutritional counselor, but so so take this advice for what you will. It is not a prescription. Sure. Uh, fair. So just claim her over. I I try to explain it like this um let me ask you Tyler what, what car do you drive drive a jeep a jeep do you put premium in it um i put mid grade
0: low grade 87
1: okay. yeah okay uh are you supposed to put premium in it
0: you know i'm i'm not even 100% sure all i don't right. have i don't have to <laughs>
1: all right so i'll i'll tell you um most of us drive a regular car right and I want you to think of yourself as a regular car. If you're a regular car, um, you're a regular athlete, you put in whatever's cheapest, whatever's convenient. Now, there's a little bit of uh, maybe guilt in your comment when I asked what you put in it, because you know, sometimes I put in better stuff. Yeah. Sometimes I don't, depending on whatever situation may be. We do the same as athletes, right? Sometimes we eat healthy, and then sometimes we kind of just eat garbage because we want to eat garbage or it's convenient or it's cheap or for whatever reason. Yeah. The way I explain this to athletes is, you know, consider yourself a Lamborghini yeah. or a Ferrari. You are a high performance vehicle. And if you're putting in garbage as gas, garbage in, garbage out. And that's a, a an IT term for yeah. for coach. But you have to put in the right content in order for that car to perform at the the measure it's supposed to. Yeah. Well, as an athlete, you have to do the same. And you usually nutrition comes down to just choices and discipline. Now, do we can we eat perfectly? I've only met a couple of people who can. And they are very regimented and strict and, and committed. Most of us know if I see a piece of chocolate. I want to eat that piece of chocolate. Yeah. Right. Now, the, the key for most athletes is is being sensible and being and showing moderation. Yeah. So does that mean that I go to a fast food restaurant every week? No, I don't. I rarely go. But if I'm on the road or something and we need to stop somewhere and we have to go to a, a fast food restaurant and eat a burger, we'll go to a fast food restaurant and eat a burger. It's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a one-off thing. It is not a, yeah, I do this every week. So too many athletes kind of put too much pressure on themselves to be perfect. You can't not to be. The key is for the most part, are you intentionally eating right? Are you eating balanced? So, I I mean, I can tell you some crazy stories of nutrition from athletes where I just go, how are you, how does your body even survive? Yeah. Whether, because you're not eating enough. Or you're eating one food every day. and that's all you eat. And I, I just it's a, the body is amazing that it's an ability to to handle that. Uh, so if if you are eating colorful foods, if you're eating in moderation, if you're eating enough to support the energy that you burn, you're doing fine. You're doing fine it's when you're going outside of those zones that we have problems. And, you know, like I said, I've I've worked with some crazy diets, but I've also seen where athletes just don't eat enough. They're eating well, but they're not eating enough. And then they're burning their muscle mass away during the season. And then when it comes to championships time, they, they don't have anything. Yep. So there's, there's also that consideration too.
0: Well, you definitely exposed that I don't take Gary good carb my, <laughs> care of my jeep but i will say i probably give myself better fuel than my jeep so um it makes me feel better but uh um one more question as we wrap up uh when i was a kid my grandfather learned of a football coach that uh was big on racquetball so sure enough some racquetball racket showed up underneath my tree and my grandpa said you should play racquetball help you help you be a better football player um played some a lot as a high school kid i know you're big into racquetball um why should everyone give racquetball a try if they're looking for something new, New Year, or something to do with their buddies? I wasn't very good, but I had had more fun than I was good.
1: <laughs> but yeah.
0: give give racquetball a plug here.
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and I think you answered it because you got the rackets. Because why? What were you told? I it would help me be better at something I was passionate about. Football. And I agree with that. Uh, you know, you don't have to play racquetball to become a racquetball professional it is a phenomenal cross training activity yeah. in terms of explosive speed hand eye coordination footwork i mean you're moving around a court with one sometimes three other people so it allows spatial awareness yeah. and and the the development of those skills are huge in any sport and i i started playing racquetball when i was 28 competitively and I was able to pick it up really quickly because I played other sports. Well, racquetball is the same to that other sport. You know what? You do all this stuff all the time. Go do this other sport for a, a little while to give your body a break from the repetition that you do in this other sport. Yeah. it's so a, a tremendous explosive recovery, explosive recovery activity where you you get a lot of activity, a lot of exercise in a short amount of time But it also develops all of those skills that are so necessary in other sports. And as an example, I, I'm going to say the dreaded pickleball because you know I'll say that to racquetball players, right? But, but I I I took up pickleball because it's popular around where I live, and I'm able Mm -hmm. to coach it and and so on. I was able to get up to almost the highest levels in amateurism in a year. Wow! Because I played racquetball, and it was. Well, I can, I've got fast hands. I can move quickly. I've got good hand-eye coordination. Now I just have to learn the technique of the strokes to, to adapt it. So I'll tell you, when I was at Arkansas as a, as a doc student, I had football players in my racquetball classes. Yeah. And it was, they had so much fun. Because yeah. what do they do in football? You know, explosion for three to five seconds, maybe seven hot max. What do you doing in racquetball? Explosion for three to five seconds, maybe seven max. You know? it really replicated that and what a great cross training activity
0: definitely it's a, it's a lot of fun and i think you can uh, you know compete against different age levels we get so in our sport you're only competing against kids right you can go and i got my butt whooped by old guys at my gym you know and you know the same thing but uh um uh, one more question as we we wrap up uh definitely wear your goggles if you go play racquetball because that ball does go fast (laughs) Uh, you'll learn to duck and dive a little bit so uh what brings you as you look at and what you do and the people you're able to impact through your work and education what brings you the most joy of of doing the work you do with coaches
1: i'm glad you asked that because i get to smile right um i'll tell you last week i went to a conference i mentioned this um Two of our students went as well and presented on some of their their experiences. Being able to sit in that room and hear one who's just graduated one who's graduating in May talk about about their coaching experiences and what they've learned through our program that has made them better at coaching. Uh, One of our other faculty was there and I literally turned to them. I said, I'm a proud dad right now. (laughs) Nice. We... We get to make a difference in people. And I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I coach pickleball locally. I also coach the, the junior U.S. national team for racquetball. I get to see what I do make changes on an individual level. That's really neat. But being in the position I am means that I get to impact coaches, athletic directors, and so on, who then go and impact thousands of people over the course of their lives and for me that is phenomenal to know that that the things that i'm able to teach them the the mentorship i'm able to give translates into making differences in people's lives and i think any of us who are in sports in coaching or working in sports you know we don't go into it for the money the the reality is i mean i didn't become a professor for the money that was if it was, that was a really bad idea. I went in because I want to help people. I was a teacher. I was a school teacher before I went into college. I wanted to help kids. I still do. But now I can do it at a, a macro level instead of a micro level. And that means that I've been able to influence more people to, to become better coaches and people, which then in turn helps more. <music>